Chapter 4 of Ebenezer's Casket by John Ulrich Kesey and Junius B. Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 4 It was a small room in a boarding house on a side street, but for two years and a trifle over, he had called it home. Ebenezer was the type who did not move around. Quiet in his habits, almost automatic in his routine, he had come to be more or less of a fixture in the house maintained by the widow McCloskey and her daughter Irene. He met Irene as he came in, and she eyed him with surprise. Never before, since she had known him, had he come home in the afternoon. "'Why, Mr. Clay!' she exclaimed. "'You ain't sick, are you?' "'No, Miss Irene,' said Ebenezer. "'I just wanted to tend to some business, and... I'll be going out pretty soon. Going out. The words rather sing themselves over in his brain as he mounted the stairs and unlocked his door and let himself in. Going out pretty soon. Yes, it wouldn't be long now until he was going out, indeed. Like, like the gas when you turned the button, or an electric light, or a lamp, or a candle, going out never to return. He sighed as he crossed the room and opened his trunk and got out some paper and a bottle of ink and a pen. The fact that he was actually going out still held its sting. He had accepted it when he had come to know it, as an unavoidable thing. He had even felt a strange wonder that to him, as to so few of his fellows, the definite date should be shown. But he was young and perfectly healthy so far as his physical life was concerned, and it was rather hard to realize that Inside a certain number of days, now dwindled to hours, the spark of his life was going out, that the driving force of life would have run down like a neglected clock before the morrow's sun. He carried pen and ink and paper to a little table and sat down. He spread the paper before him and took up the pen. And then he sat staring straight before him. Claire Markley, he was seeing her face again in the old house, set down on the edge of his ancestral acres with its trees, its rose bushes, the barn behind it. All the things he had left when he came west to the city where he now sat in a rented room. The things he had left when he had quarreled with Claire, after the manner of overjealous youth. The things he was giving to her now in consideration of love and affection. Love and affection. Oddly enough, he thought of Irene, she was going to be married. All at once, Ebenezer's eyes lighted. He reached into his pocket slowly and brought out his depleted roll of bills. When one got married, one needed a lot of things, and Irene had always been mighty friendly with him. So why not leave to Irene what was soon to be of no possible value to him? Mentally, he made an estimate of the cost of a hospital room. He detached it from the amount in his possession and returned it to his pocket. The remainder he put aside and then he uncorked the bottle of ink. Claire? No. He had meant to write her, explaining about the deed, but there wasn't anything to say to her, really. Let the deed speak for itself, in its terms of love and affection. All at once he was glad the lawyer had thought of that consideration. It saved him the effort of trying to explain in labored fashion all those things the three words so tersely said. Love and affection. That's all there was to it. Claire would have the old place just the same as if she had been married to him, and this thing had come upon him tonight, all unexpected. 
After all, then, it was better, so... It was better that he should be meeting the thing alone. Better that he was, as he was. Better that he should be leaving the old place to Claire because of love and affection and the balance of his money to Irene. He hitched himself into position at the table and began to work with his pen. Dear Mrs. McCloskey, I'm writing this to explain quite a number of things. When you get it, I'll be dead, and it'll be in natural and regular fashion. I ain't killing myself, and I ain't out in my head. When I leave here, I'm going to a hospital and get a room, and I'll die there tonight at 11.01. I've knowed this was coming for some time, but I ain't said nothing about it, because there ain't any use in a man's kicking against his time when it comes. But I'm leaving you my things. You can have my trunk and what there is in it. And the money in this letter I want should go to Miss Irene. I know she's going to be married. And I'd like her to use the cash to get her some things. She's always been mighty nice to me and so have you. I hope Irene and her husband get along fine. I'm going to be buried from Lynn's. If you call up, he'll give you the time, and I'd like to have you attend the funeral if you care to come. I've made all the arrangements for it, and he says he'll do the right thing. I wish I could stay with you longer, but when the Grim Reaper calls, all human power can do is to stand up and be cut down. So far, Ebenezer wrote and paused. He regarded the last paragraph, frowning. Some way it didn't exactly seem right. Instinctively, perhaps, he felt the malappropriateness of likening himself to a flower, but he could not seem to find other words to express what he had in mind. In the end, he let it stand as it was, trusting that Mrs. McCloskey would understand it, and went on. So this is goodbye, yours very truly, Ebenezer Clay. He rose and found an envelope in the trunk. He put the written page and the money inside it and sealed it up and wrote upon it, Nora McCloskey, addressed. He propped it up on the table against the bottle of ink, where anyone coming in would see it, turned away and found a suitcase, and opened it on the bed. Pulling out the drawers of an old-time dresser, he set to work. Into the suitcase, he put a clean suit of underclothing, a pair of fresh socks, and a shirt, a tie, a collar. From a closet, he brought a suit of clothes, folded them neatly, and added them to the rest. He sighed again as he closed the case and fastened the snaps. His eyes roamed about the room in a farewell glance. In a moment, he was going to walk out of it, as he had done so many times before. But this time, he wasn't coming back. Something like a lump rose in his throat. His eyes fell on the envelope propped up on the table, where Mrs. McCloskey would find it. He would have liked to say goodbye to her and Irene, but it was too hard to make people understand. He took up the suitcase and went out and down the stairs softly hoping he wouldn't meet Irene as he had when he came in. He let himself out of the front door. He moved off along the street. At the corner, he turned and looked back. After that, he walked a couple of blocks and caught a car for the third time that afternoon. Just why he was going to a hospital, he hardly knew, except that soon after he had learned what was going to happen. The idea had occurred to him and had taken hold of his mind, it had seemed a better place to die than in the widow McCloskey's house. Wherefore, he had made it the last step in his plan. When the car reached the corner nearest to it, he got down. 
It stood in a stretch of tree-studded ground, and the shadows of the trees were growing long. He noted the fact with an odd quiver, starting into being as it seemed from somewhere in his breast. He paused and put down the suitcase and drew a long breath. That, that strange thrill had probably been in his heart. It would have to be his heart or something of that sort to take him off so suddenly, after he had spent twenty-seven years feeling well, and it was just beginning to make itself felt, just as for twenty-seven years it had been fated that it should. That was the way fate worked. There was no haste about it, but equally there was no mistake. He took up the suitcase again and started up a tree-shaded concrete walk. But at the head of a flight of steps, in front of the doors of the institution itself, he once more stopped. He turned his glance to the grass, the shrubs, the trees. He lifted it to the sky where a few clouds floated like balls of fleece in a final look. It was the last time, thought Ebenezer, that he would ever see anything of the sort. The last time. Life, save for the restricted element of the hospital itself, would be behind him once he stepped inside its doors. And yet, and yet, he couldn't stand there on the steps. He set his lips a trifle grimly and made his way inside. There was a door marked office. Ebenezer went in. He was breathing somewhat quickly, and there was a drawn expression about his eyes, now that they had looked on the world for the last time. He set down his suitcase and spoke to a woman, a white-clad woman, who sat behind a glassed-in railing. I would like to engage a room. She rose and came toward him, speaking through the grill of the window between them. Very well, what price? Ebenezer's mind went back to the amount he had deemed sufficient, and he named it. That will do for a deposit, said the woman, but we only rent rooms by the week. I, I won't need it that long, said Ebenezer. I expect to die tonight. You? For an instant, the face on the other side of the grill showed startled, and then it smiled. You don't look as sick as all that. I don't feel sick, ma'am, really, Ebenezer told her, but... You've never been to a hospital before, have you? No, ma'am, but... What is your name? Ebenezer told her and watched her write it down. She laid aside her pen and slipped around the end of the railing. If you'll come with me, she said, I'll take you to her room. Ebenezer followed her down a hall, past many doors, in and out of which flitted other women in white. There was a peculiar odor to the place, he noted now, that made him feel a trifle sick. He sniffed. They paused before an elevator cage and went in and up a shaft. On the next floor, they got out. There was another corridor and more doors. His companion opened one at last. Ebenezer stepped into a room with a narrow white bed and a table and a set of drawers and two doors. I'll send you a nurse, said the woman and went out. Ebenezer put down his suitcase and sighed. Just as a room, the place was very nice. He began taking off his coat and vest. With the garments in his hand, he stopped. The door had opened without warning, and a young woman in white popped in. Oh, she exclaimed. Are you going to bed? Ring the bell when you're ready, and I'll come in and take your temperature and pulse. She withdrew, and Ebenezer flushed. She had been a rather pretty girl, but she hadn't even rapped. He went over and found a button on the door and turned it, sat down, and began untying his shoes. 
Having completed his disrobing, he turned the button back the other way, pulled down the covers, and stretched himself out. She had told him to ring, but it really didn't matter whether she came back or not. He had laid his watch on the table beside the bed, and he glanced at his dial. It was nearly six o'clock. He turned his gaze out of the window. He could see the top of a tree in the blue of the evening sky. A door opened at his back. He turned to face another nurse. She was older, he judged, than the first, and she had a bunch of papers in her hand. She drew up a chair and sat down by the side of the bed. "'Good evening. You're Mr. Clay, aren't you?' she inquired. "'Yes, ma'am,' said Ebenezer. "'Your age?' Twenty-seven. "'Born where?' "'Mazalon, Ohio. And what is your complaint?' "'I don't know, ma'am,' said Ebenezer, watching as she wrote down his answers. "'But I think it's my heart. I guess it doesn't matter, though, really. I'm going to die tonight.' Like the woman in the office, this one, too, looked startled, and then, like the other, she smiled. "'You don't look like a heart case, exactly,' she responded. "'Who's your doctor?' "'I haven't any,' said Ebenezer. She nodded. "'I'll have one of the house doctors come in to see you. Now who would you want to notify in event of your death?' For a moment Ebenezer stared. He was conscious, all at once, of a distinct sensation of relief. Here, at last— was someone who wasn't shocked into a state of mental collapse by the mention of his impending demise. And, of course, he knew nothing of hospital records or other forms of medical tape. "'Why,' he said in a tone approaching animation, "'I ain't got no folks, so no one, I guess, or... "'Hold on, you can telephone Lynn's undertaking parlors after I'm dead. "'My funeral's all arranged.'" End of chapter 4